1: back to the Innovate for Impact podcast today. You've got Tracy Newman and I'm really excited to be joined today by April Long, who's Acting CEO of Shine for Kids. So welcome, April.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You're so welcome. So Dan isn't with us today, but I would love for you to uh, share a little bit more, Um i like to kick off with a little bit more of you sharing your story and also talking a little bit more about the work that Shine for Kids does.
2: Fantastic. So I'll start by acknowledging country. I'm up on a wobbuckle country and pay respects to elders both past and present. And at Shine for Kids, when we acknowledge country, which is an important cultural protocol, we also acknowledge the disproportionate impact incarceration has on Aboriginal children, families and communities. So right now around our country, uh, 30% of the children that Shine for Kids support are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. So Shine for Kids, we've been around for 40 years supporting children and families impacted by the criminal justice system. Obviously, I haven't been at Shine for Kids for 40 years, so I've been um, fortunate enough to to work for the organisation for almost four years. And during that time, we've really scaled our reach and impact from 15 correctional centres to 31 correctional centres and really proud of that, that growth work that just simply couldn't have happened without innovation and creative individuals who have really enabled us to, to build on that strong legacy of 40 years you know shine for kids started with you no know, concerned um, volunteers teachers social work people who looked around and said you know why aren't we doing more for children with a parent in prison and we've obviously um, built on that strong legacy of volunteers and you know we continue to have 150 volunteers that support our work but 50 staff and so yeah I'm really passionate about the work we do at shine I'm a Proud Aboriginal woman with lived experience of parental incarceration, so I know firsthand the impact incarceration has on children, on relationships, and and on families. So the work we do is really about supporting families through that time.
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, for you it's been a pretty interesting time. The last, well, really it's two years now since COVID first became something that, that we were all aware of and, and needed to work differently. What are some of the things that you needed to do to be able to adapt to provide quality services within this kind of
2: environment? Yeah, look, I think COVID's created an environment of, of rapid innovation. And for us at Shine for Kids, you know, um, some of that is actually about going back to old ways of of doing things. And, and that in itself is um, innovation. I think, you know, in Australia, we have, you know, a deep history... Of innovation you know things like the war and the fish traps and you know some of the incredible innovation that's happened since the beginning of time and at Shine you know when when Covid hit you know things like letter writing if you're anybody who's had a family member in the criminal justice system you have you know, a big pile of, of letters that you've you know communicated with your loved one and so we created family connection packs where kids on the outside would get a whole range of templates and letters and they were able to then um, give that to their parent in custody. And we also provided the parent in custody with a different pack. And so we think about innovation sometimes, you know, we think about the entrepreneurs out there trying to crack the next big thing, but sometimes it's going back to these old ways of doing things. And, you know, the letter writing is one way, but another way is our story time program where I think storytelling is, is such a big way that we connect with our children. Potentially every parent around the country is um, getting ready tonight to read, you know, one book or, or five books. I think, you know, my son took seven books last night to go to sleep. And, you know, when a parent's in prison, you don't get that connection. You know, phone calls usually stop, you know, in the afternoon and, you know, they're only six-minute phone calls. And what we were able to do um, during COVID is our story time program where dad or mum, depending on who's in custody, We'll read and record a story and we'll provide the child on the outside with a copy of that book and the recording and we've got all these beautiful stories of kids, you know, going to bed with the book and not being able to put it down. And We took it one step further where, you know, mum and dad created their own story and we've got these beautiful books that, you know, have been drawn, designed and, you know, children have just, you know, absolutely loved having that, that personal story from mum or dad, which has been incredibly healing for them but also for the parent in in custody. So it's about that connection, but also saying that, you know, parents who are in custody are still parents and it's really important that they maintain those family connections. So there was lots of innovations that that have happened during this time, but they're just two that I really highlight because I think it's really important that when we're thinking about innovation, that, you know, it is about creativity, but it's about creating, a, I guess, a culture where, um, you know, team members can, can innovate. And, you know, sometimes that's going back to things that may have worked at, at different times and going, well, how can we adapt those and, and experiment with that and, and make it fit for purpose in this new environment? You know, we keep talking about post-COVID environment, not sure when that's going to come, but, you know, we're
1: going to need innovation to, to get through that next phase as well. You're right, like sometimes the innovation is that exciting combination of things, isn't it? It's not necessarily about creating something totally new. It's about combining different elements of things that, you know, have worked in the past and I think that's where the future looks. It's like, okay, so what have we done in the last two years that has been really exciting that we want to move forward with? What are the things that we're going to be really happy to see the back of and what are some of the things that have really come to our attention because we're looking at things differently that we really want to, you know, I guess do something more of So I think that's a really exciting opportunity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hoping that you know the, the sector responds in that way because I think what we've seen during COVID is an incredible amount of trust, and you know, with funders, you know, philanthropic or government, where you know, our adaptive service delivery that we've done was needed because, you know, normal service delivery couldn't happen. So, you know, prisons across Australia visits stopped, you know, children, and that's part of our core service provision is we take children in for visits. And, but if you look at what the outcomes of that is, it's about family connection. And so, you know, I think um, what we've seen in this COVID environment is that we can actually be really client-centered and, you know, do things that are about the best outcomes for clients. And, and potentially remove some of that compliance framework and go, actually, it's about what's best for this child or this parent in custody. And, you know, how do we get outcomes for them? And yeah, I think sometimes, you know, we we do have a mindset that you can't have results-based accountability or, you know, outcomes-based accountability with innovation. And, you know, it's really important that we have program fidelity, but it's also really important that you know, we're led by our our clients, and that we're responding to their needs because ultimately that's why we all do this work, right? It's because we want to see what's best for young people. And, and what COVID did is it forced us, I guess, as a sector, to really innovate and be creative. And you know, I think as a leader in in the organization, sometimes for me it was getting out of the way and you know enabling those creative people to really thrive. And um, you know, I think people have commented, oh, you know, Shine for Kids has been really innovative. But I don't think it's, you know, organisations or companies that are innovative. I think it's people that are innovative and you can create that culture. But ultimately, yeah, it's supporting your people to to really drive that. And yeah, we've seen that at, at Shine for Kids where, you know, people are coming forward with their ideas and saying, well, I know we used to run it like this but you know what about this and yeah we've set up some structural ways to do that to make sure that yeah there's an environment where people's ideas are are really shared and and amplified.
1: Can you talk me through like some of those ways because I think often people want to be more innovative and they want that culture of creativity but when you're in you know perhaps a really traditional sort of organisation, particularly when you're in a very regulated uh, environment, that it feels like there's so many barriers. So what are some of the ways that you, I guess, navigated that?
2: My first advice would be there is no more environment that is regulated than working in prisons and so I think it is a challenge but it's not something that you can't overcome and so you know I think I I talked about the sharing of ideas and one really simple thing we did was set up monthly cross-functional meetings where team members could come together and you know they might be running a program in a women's prison in Queensland saying oh you know We've um, facilitated and added in this activity and then, you know, someone who's in a men's prison down in Victoria goes, oh, okay, well, maybe I will try that or maybe I won't try that and these are the reasons why. And just that sharing of ideas, I think ideation is really important, obviously, in terms of innovation, but it's creating that culture where it is safe to experiment internally with just how you do things before you then are experimenting, you know, in service delivery and with clients. And, you know, absolutely, it's creating that culture around what your outcomes are and and staying true to that. But getting people to really understand that your activities and how you achieve that can be very varied and it should be client-led. And, you know, that's something I'm, I'm really proud of at Shine for Kids. You know, we have a number of staff with lived experience who the core way of doing business is fostering self-determination, being client-led and doing deep listening around, well, what is it that our families need? What is it that communities asking for? And I think when you're talking about an issue like parental incarceration, you know, we talk about wicked issues in, in the space, like this is intergenerational trauma, intergenerational incarceration. And so you really have to be listening to the diverse voices. And so Internally, we've, we've put that into practice and making sure, you know, we have sharing circles, we have cross-functional meetings where people are just listening and, and sharing and, and not necessarily for an agenda or for a particular outcome, but just for the process itself. And then adopting that when we then go out and, and meet with community. And I ran a really powerful co-design with women in, in custody up in um, Townsville. And that was about deep listening. So as a facilitator, yes, there were some things that I was keen to know, but ultimately where we started and where we landed was being led. And, you know, we talk about those buzzwords of co-design, but for me, it's about that deep listening. And so I think for anyone kind of thinking about, well, how do I create an innovation culture? The first thing I would say is it's not organisations, as I said, that create the innovation, it's creating the environment, having creative people, setting up some safe spaces around experimentation and then kind of getting out of the way, not waiting until you've got all the evidence and you've done all the literature review and and because the need's there and the need's going to continue to be there and I think that's what COVID's taught us is that there actually is stability in innovation because we've had to innovate to survive this time as not-for-profits in, in the sector. So I'm hoping that that's what continues post-COVID, but the whole sector has to kind of get on board with that, you know. Um, and, yeah, compliance, focus, shifting to, you know, trust in relationships and relationships and being about the outcomes for the families and clients we support.
1: Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. how you do keep people's perspective on the mission and I guess the why of of what what they're doing, what they're doing. Um, One of the things that I see in the sector regularly is when people start, they're absolutely, you know, engaged and and they come to this work because it's not a head decision quite often, it's a heart decision. Um, But then what you see is that as they've been, you know, working and, and sometimes working really hard and not always seeing the progress, sometimes it can become a little bit like, you know, Grandpa Day and, and that. So how do you keep people sort of really centred to the greater why of, of why they're there?
2: It's the core pillar for us as an organisation at, at Shine for Kids is the why where we do the work that we do. And I think, you know, there's really simple things like consistent messaging. But I, I think what we have at Shine is this um, deep commitment and, you know, that does come with, with pros and cons and you've got to make sure that your staff aren't over committing and, you know, we've seen in the space burnout culture and, and, and things like that and so I think it's something that you've got to be really aware of as a leader when you're creating a deep commitment to purpose, to vision, that you also have got the well being and the focus on your people and that you know, you're supporting them and giving them the tools they need uh, to do the work they do, but also care for themselves. And I think that's really important in the not-for-profit space. I think, you know, we all come to this work being heart-led. Certainly a lot of people don't come to the space for, you know, financial gain. It's about, you know, the gains we want to see in our communities, um, the change we want to see in our families. And I think that's really true at Shine for Kids and, you know, we've seen in the um, mental health space the implementation of lived experience frameworks and it's something that um, we have implemented at SHINE but you can't implement that without the additional supports around it. So, you know, we do make sure that, you know, at our sharing circles and our cross-functional meetings, we're always talking about the, the mission and the vision. And, you know, one really great example of that is Project 33 where, you know, we wanted to grow from 15 to 33 prisons by the end of 2022. So, proud to say we're in 31 and next year being our our 40th anniversary we're you know saying it's time to act and we're really calling on state and federal governments to not make children with a parent in prison invisible you know there's 45,000 kids currently with a parent in prison and we estimate there's 75,000 who have experienced parental incarceration in their childhood but we have no state or national strategy or framework around these children and so Again, from a policy perspective, that's a gap and, and we have had a parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales and, and we'll have one in Victoria where we're calling for government support. But there's also an opportunity where with that vacuum for children who have had a parent in prison and people of lived experience to inform that policy development and say, this is the roadmap uh, for change. And so that's some work we're going to be doing next year in terms of having those conversations and the deep listening around How do we address this problem? You know, we know jailing is failing. We know, you know, we have very high cases of people on remand and that disproportionately affects children. So how do we disrupt that system and do that in a way where uh, it's client-centred and, you know, we're looking after our people and, yeah, supporting the change we want to see in the community? Yeah, I
1: think that's really interesting because you're talking about it being client-led and when you talk about, you know, getting feedback and, and meaningful feedback, Um, so that you can be client-led, quite often there's a a number of barriers, but, again, I can't imagine many larger barriers than having, you know, children who are, uh, you know, in a really difficult situation in their lives and also, you know, parents who are incarcerated. So how do you kind of make sure that you are getting that information to be able to make sure that the services that you're working on continue to continuously improve?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think a big part of it is, you know, having clear targets around having staff with lived experience and, you know, having an Indigenous employment target because we want to be representative of the communities we support. And so that's a big part of it, obviously, from a people um, perspective. And then, of course, you know, when we're talking about, you know, co-designs, consultation, and it is that deep listening and, you know, actually making sure that everybody is at the table and it's not, tokenistic it's not you know one of those tick box exercises that says yes for this government contract we've consulted you know I think the whole system itself needs to be to be looked at where you know sometimes we're starting with a government tender that might have some outcomes and or some outputs a lot of the time and then we're trying to retrospectively fit our activities to meet that and you know we are starting to see a shift in the space where you know we are actually commissioning our services and and going out and saying, this is the need. And, you know, we have the solutions, not as an organisation, but as a representation of the people that that we represent, the communities we represent. And that's a key focus of self-determination. And I think it's just being very true in that practice and, you know, being open around um, what the solution is and, you know, even what the challenge is. I think sometimes we can go in with our preconceived ideas. Um, yeah, at Shine, that's something that we make sure that we we don't do in our practice and you might be starting here and you end up here and that's okay and then it's our job to really go back to government and say well actually this is what's needed and you know sometimes those conversations go really well and sometimes they don't and so I think yeah we need to see more of that in the space I mean that in itself is innovation it's about saying that just because we've always done something doesn't mean we should continue to do it and It's an interesting time for Shine, you know, celebrating our 40th anniversary next year because, you know, what's gotten us here isn't going to continue to to get us to the next 40 years. So, you know, what are the innovations that we can kind of take from this COVID time? It's not necessarily the programmatic innovations. It's the thinking that change is an opportunity, that, you know, disruption and and ways of doing things are always going to get the outcomes
1: we want just as a a slightly uh, a bit of a change in direction. I think it's really exciting that we get to talk to you at the moment because you're currently acting CEO at Charm for Kids. So that's an interesting perspective that you bring to this conversation because usually we're speaking to people who are CEOs or are new to being a CEO or they've been a CEO at the organisation that they're at for a really long time, but I've not actually had the opportunity to speak to somebody who is in an acting capacity before. So I'm really interested to hear how that sits with everything that, that you're out to achieve and, and what the perspective is that you bring to that
2: role. Being an acting CEO is, yeah, a really interesting role because it's about stability and, you know, the organization's in a transition. And again, I think some people would say, well, you know, we maintain the status quo during that time. And I think what the last four years of has shown us at Shine is that innovation has actually what has enabled us to grow. So, you know, am I shifting my mindset during this period of time? You know, absolutely not. You know, I'm working really closely with our government partners and our philanthropic partners and our committed board. But it's also about, you know, just being as open as I've always been to you know, the voices of the families we work with, you know, being responsive to the surveys we get from parents in custody. I think, you know, we can see sometimes in the space you get all this data and, you know, you've got great outcomes measurement, but then, well, what are you doing with it? And so I think there could be a risk of, okay, well, let's, you know, we're in a maintenance phase, let's just um, stay with the status quo. But, you know, if we did that during COVID, every single part of our service provision was disrupted. We couldn't go into schools. We couldn't go into prisons. And so, you know, I'm taking that same mindset into this current role, being creative, being innovative, creating the culture within the organisation for team members to share their ideas. And yeah, it's a role that I'm really enjoying.
1: That's exciting. And I love that whole concept of innovation being what gives you stability, because so often people wait for the stability first.
2: Yeah, it's never going to (laughs) come. you can do all the literature reviews you can do all your due diligence and you know you can map your ecosystem and you know the reality is that you just have to get on with the work and i think you know that's what we've done at, at shine for kids um the need has been very acute i don't think there's been a worse thing than having a parent in prison during COVID. And, you know, we've all seen as Australians what it's like to miss birthdays, to not be able to spend, you know, significant time together with our loved ones. And that's what children with a parent in prison experience every single day, except during COVID, you know, they haven't been able to visit. So, you know, for us, we've had to rapidly respond to ensure that they're supported. Otherwise, they remain invisible. We know that they're their health outcomes are poor, Um, we know their educational outcomes are poor, but we also know that children with a parent in prison are the most resilient young people in our country. And so, you know, we can't have a deficit focus and say, well, you know, they're disadvantaged and they're at risk and, you know, they're incredibly innovative, they're incredibly creative. These are resilient young people that go through a very difficult time, but we have to walk beside them with support, with respect, but with high expectations around what they can be, you know. Um, it took me to be 30 years of age to talk about my father's incarceration, but you know, I I always share my story more now as I've, I've kind of gotten older because I think it's about empowering others to say that you know you can be anything that you dream to be as long as you're supported and given the tools that you need. So you know that's kind of why I share my story and yeah, we we hope that I've certainly noticed since at Shine other staff sharing their stories of lived experience and. We need to get rid of that shame and stigma of, you know, how we look at people in the criminal justice system and how we might judge and label and acknowledge that multiple systems have failed them to be in the criminal justice system. And that's on us as a country to kind of go, well, what are the things that have resulted in, you know, a disproportionate number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders um, being in our criminal justice system? We have to stand up and say that, you know, it's it's about us as a community um, and and fix those things and. Um, and I think starting with children with a parent in prison is as early prevention as it gets you know we know in New South Wales at the moment in youth prisons that you know um, almost 70 percent of Aboriginal children and over 50 percent of all children currently sitting in youth prisons have had a parent in prison these are children who have had significant neglect abuse trauma and if we don't support them now they're going to become entrenched in that system themselves incarcerated so We have to break the cycle and we're not going to break the cycle if we don't innovate, if we don't have strong partnerships. And we've got a recent one with Conflict Pathways that, again, it's combining two things at work. And sometimes innovation is as simple as that. You know, it's actually combining two things at work and saying, let's actually partner. Let's not compete. You know, we're in the not-for-profit space because we're heart-led. Let's do this work together. And so I'm really excited about that innovation next year. And you know, it's at a really important time that we're saying as a country, let's raise the age, let's stop incarcerating 10-year-olds. And, again, that's innovation. You know, why continue to do something that our country's done for a really long time that's against United Nations advice, against health advice, simply because it's the way we've always done things?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. We need to be looking forward. And I think that's a, a really great segue because you sort of touched on that that next year, time to act Um, that it is the 40th year. What else is in the pipeline? What else are you looking
2: forward to? to I'm really looking forward to getting out and spending time with our families and communities. Obviously with COVID, a lot of those community events haven't happened. So we're going to be having state meetings, family fun days, bringing children with a parent in prison together. Sometimes you're the only kid that you know going through that you're the only kid at your school and we're actually having a big wellness event in Victoria where 50 young people you know who have experienced arguably the you know world's most toughest lockdown are all going to come together and, you know, enjoy themselves and connect. And so with the 40th anniversary, we'll be continuing those kind of activities um, but also having a national gathering. And, you know, we'll be having some awards that really recognise people in the space who've done some incredible things. So that thought leadership is is really important. And, and these are people who are academics, volunteers, elders, who are making real change in their community. And we're going to put a spotlight on that. And really celebrate it because without all those individuals we know that children with a parent in prison aren't supported so um that's that's really exciting and that'll be happening um towards the end of next year and of course we're going to keep having these conversations with government around why don't we have any state policies why don't we have a national roadmap why don't we recognize that family connection is critical for rehabilitation and that you know we must keep children and parents where it's in their best interest connected whilst a parent is in custody so they can stay connected on the other side. And, you know, of course, you know, the bigger piece is let's actually look at our sentencing laws. Let's look at our investment in community-led solutions in Aboriginal community-controlled organisations to say, well, let's stop the problem before it's, you know, incarceration. So, yeah, really excited about that that piece of work that'll be happening. That
1: is exciting. Anything else that you've got planned? Um, I
2: think you mentioned something about a roadmap. Yeah so we have some great instruments in San Francisco there was a bill of rights created from children with a parent in prison and it's their voice it's what they'd like to see and things like you know I have the right to see touch and hug my parent and so what we're really excited to do with our youth advisory council is actually amplify those voices and you know, make sure, again, it's it's client-led, you know, even though I like to think I'm still a youth, but it's not me saying, you know, these are the things we need, but it's, you know, young people who currently have a parent in prison who are able to say, this is what our country needs, you know, this is what I need and, you know, the way we're going to get there, you know, that's not always on a young person to map that out, but that's a responsibility of government and, and us at shine for kids to advocate for them. So... Yeah, we're really excited for that piece of work and I'm sure they're going to have some really innovative ideas around that and then, you know, it's our job to make it happen.
1: That's exciting. April, I just wanted to to say a big thank you for having this conversation with us today and um, I really love the work that Shun for Kids are doing around that really leveraging off that traditional and the history but actually uh, using that to create new innovations and and really looking forward and um, the way that you manage to be really client-focused and agile moving around those obstacles as they occur, I think that's that's really inspiring and, and there's something in there for everyone. So if people wanted to connect with the work that Shine for Kids are doing, what's the best way to be able to do that?
2: The best ways to um, head to our website and you can, you know, if you want to volunteer or if you want to donate, head to the website. And then, of course, um, all of our social media platforms. So we've got LinkedIn, we've got Twitter and also Instagram and Facebook. So you can hear the stories and voices of families that we support and, of course, the advocacy and policy work we're doing in this space. So we'd love to connect with like-minded organisations and we always say change takes partnership. So, you know, head to our socials and connect with us because we'd, we'd love to work with you.
1: Sounds great. I'll um, make sure that we put those in the show notes to make it nice and to find. So thank you. We really appreciate your time, Michael. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.